1: Welcome back to Containers, an audio documentary presented by Flexport, which looks at global trade through Oakland as a way of understanding our economy and the people who make it work. In a world where Donald Trump has made the iniquities of trade a centerpiece of his platform, it's vitally important that we actually understand how trade works, the significance it has in our daily lives, and the toll it extracts from the people laboring inside the system. I'm your host, Alexis Madrigal. In our first episode in this series, we looked at how the global economy has been transformed by containerization. Beginning in the late 1960s, containerization came to dominate the shipping of things. Now almost every consumer item you buy once traveled in a big metal box. They're one big reason why things that used to cost half a paycheck or a day's labor now cost six bucks at Target. Today, we're going to look at how and why containers move across the world. What forces pull them from Asia to the city of Oakland? And who does that work? If you want to understand how capitalism works, there's no better microcosm than the system that moves containers around the globe into one particular place. That's why I'm standing in the parking lot of a Target in Emeryville, California. I'm meeting a group of Filipino sailors We're fresh off a big cargo ship after a voyage across the Pacific and a pit stop in Los Angeles.
2: uh,
1: We're at this target to buy stuff because, like everyone else in America, when sailors from the Philippines need to buy the basic necessities of life, they go to a big box store. The vast majority of what they could buy in the store probably arrived on a ship just like the one the guys have stepped off. Target is the nation's second-largest importer right after Walmart, and the shipping industry Bible, the Journal of Commerce, estimates Target brought over the equivalent of 537,000 20-foot shipping containers worth of stuff in 2015. So when you hear someone in the media talk about global trade, just imagine they're saying how Target gets stuff for you to buy. The small group of sailors splits up. Some head over to Best Buy, others walk towards the Target entrance. As we head across the parking lot, I fall into stride with a sailor named M. He and the other guys don't want me to use their names. They're explicitly forbidden from talking to the media. And not only could they lose their current jobs for allowing me to interview them, but the employment agencies that place guys on ships could blackball them from future employment. Very few sailors are willing to break the rules and risk their livelihoods. But M does want his story told. He knows he's a key cog in the machine that drives global trade. And he'd like people to know what life is actually like. For the 358,898 Filipino seafarers that the government counted, that's fully 25% of all the sailors out there on the ocean. So, he's talking to me. I'm from the Philippines, the Pearl of the Orient Seas, what they call it. (laughs) Emma's been sailing for decades, And he's dressed to blend in in Oakland, which is a port he's visited many times. He wears simple jeans, brown boat shoes, and then this glorious vintage Oakland Raiders jacket, the pirate logo huge across the back. He's in his early 50s with a soft face and a broad nose. He's just not at all what I expected a sailor to be like.
2: In my heydays, I I think of about uh,
1: sailing the seven seas. Now... Firmly in middle age, he thinks more about home than adventure. And I'm looking forward uh,
2: to have my own business, a small uh, eatery or some pizzeria
1: or some baking or some bakery. A restaurant would make sense. M's a cook, a job that he genuinely seems to enjoy. It's challenging, you
2: know. You have to feed people from uh, certain uh, different kinds of uh, uh, ethnic nas- nationalities, especially the Europeans. And um, you have to cook, 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 and feed them and make them happy.
1: In general, though not always, there's a racial hierarchy on ships running across the Pacific. The officers are usually Europeans, especially Romanians, and the crew is usually heavily Filipino. They work together, but eat and socialize in separate worlds.
2: So many- souvenir. I got to look for ride
1: over there. Oh sure. Oh into the yeah, I'll go with you. What are you looking for? I was looking for a
2: screen protector for my cell phone that I bought last two days. Oh. In, uh, in
1: Los Angeles. It might seem a little silly to spend your few hours off a ship looking for a screen protector, but when you spend eighty percent of your life on a ship, it doesn't matter what you're doing on land. You just want off the boat. The guys have just run a standard shipping route. They loaded up in Yangshan, the deep water port near Shanghai, headed across the Pacific to Southern California, where most import cargo goes, and now they're making a quick stop in Oakland to pick up food and wine from the Central Valley and maybe some scrap paper. Once they leave Oakland, they won't see the West Coast of North America for another six weeks. This is what it's like for most people in M's position, which is to say the Filipino crew, not the European officers. He'll spend up to eight months on the seas before going home for a break, more than half a year away from his family. He's got four grown-up kids, he tells me, a girl and three boys. He says that he warned all his kids not to follow in his footsteps. The boys listened.
2: My only girl is the one who who decided to, to go a you know, She works on a passenger ship. While my... My son actually decided to take the nursing course, which is, uh, you know, should be
1: interchanging.
2: You know? <laughs> <laughs> but
1: what is gender anyway? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I agree with that. I feel like if I were you guys, I would just like come up with a reason to get off the boat, though, too. I'd just be like. Yeah,
2: you know, sometimes it's really crazy, you know. So uh, you just, uh, you've been there uh, for about uh, how many months? And you just uh, working 24-7. Right. Uh, you just uh, meet your uh, fellow crew every day, same page, the same thing.
1: <laughs> After some half-hearted searching for the cell phone cover, we decided to go to the next thing on our shopping list, beer. We're planning to bring it up to a friend's place of mine in the Berkeley Hills where the guys can see the bay. Having learned quite a bit about containers and how they've transformed our world economy, Target's no longer just this big humming room of stuff. Walking through the aisles, I reversed the flow of logistics that brought the toilet paper and lamps and humidifiers and 300 varieties of deodorant to this one place. Imagine all those items stuffed back into the containers that brought them here, trucked back to distribution centers out in the exurbs and then sent to the port and loaded back onto the ships Finally, returning to the factories that produced all this stuff. Imagine those trails on a map. This incredible network is global trade. This incredible network is Target. Okay, this is the classic. We picked a regular old IPA. We'll get this one. We'll get, one. We'll get that. As we head to the checkout, we heard this. These beeps from the barcode scanner turns out these beeps are a good way to understand the international shipping industry that delivers you the stuff you buy every day. To learn more, I talked with a scholar named Jesse Cavalier, who has studied the logistics systems
3: of big box stores. For me, the the thing that's this kind of overriding feature of these logistical worlds is this like tension or this contradiction between the Uh, the kind of impulse and the desire to dematerialize everything, and then this, like, stubborn reality of just, like, having to move it around all the time. And I think that there's... That still just... It persists. Like, material just persists.
1: In particular, he's looked at the way that data infuses the system. Each time you hear that beep, that's a piece of data being recorded. That data is fed into software, which calculates what products need to go where from what factory. In effect, each beep helps direct everything from the paths of the ships on the ocean to the arrangement of the products on the shelves. And the goods get pushed through this incredible constellation of companies and trucks and warehouses and distribution centers. It's a network of data and stuff that underpins just about every consumer purchase you make in America. And it starts with the beep.
3: And that's telling you that you now are out of the system. Basically, that the goods that have been monitored so closely from basically the the point they're they're finished at the factory or in the packing plant or uh, wherever that whatever the last moment is where they're sealed up and then registered within an inventory management system, and then they're sent on their way through all of these steps from from a, a supplier to their shipper, to their packer, to their is packing them into the container, to whoever's putting that container on the boat, who's ever unloading that container, who's ever breaking it down and putting the, the crates into the truck and then putting that truck into an intermediate distribution center, which is then gets broken down and then reconfigured to send back to, uh, to the local distribution center to then get uh, packed onto another truck, to be brought to the store, to get unloaded and put on the inventory shelf. Uh, to then be picked up by a consumer, a shopper, uh, and then brought to this cash register to then be scanned. That's all within that network. And then once it's scanned, it leaves that network because then there's no more monitoring of where it where it goes.
1: Of course, the beep also sends a signal into a database that says someone bought this beer or these tube socks or that dustbuster. And through the magic of logistics, it will become slightly more likely. That those items will be stocked at Target, that they will get good positions in the stores, that their manufacturers will thrive, that their businesses will survive. Containers is presented by Flexport. Flexport's a freight forwarding company built around modern technology. They help over 2,500 companies run better global supply chains. Check them out. Flexport.com, where CEO Ryan Peterson does some provocative blogging about this industry. This podcast is about these mechanics of trade, the meaning of work, and the almost unimaginable workings of modern capitalism, because we're all enmeshed in the network Jesse describes, you, me, and anyone who shops at Target. The incredible efficiency of the network is why things are so cheap now. Think about this. Maersk, the biggest shipping company in the world, told me it costs four cents to send a t-shirt from an Asian factory to a Western port. Because it is so inexpensive, the system of marine trade carries something like 80 to 90 percent of everything you buy. Journalist Rose George spent half a decade researching the shipping industry for her book, 90 percent of everything, and she likes to point out to people that shipping is the foundation of modern civilization. And yet.
4: Somehow shipping is seen as this kind of old fashioned industry, kind of, you know, with populated by old men with white beards and stripy t-shirts and, and, and uh, working in docks that look like something out of Dickens and, and, and I think most people have this kind of unquestioned assumption that because of the role of aviation in our lives now that pretty much everything comes by plane but in fact as one freight forwarder told me the only things that come by plane and I'll paraphrase it because he was quite salty um, uh,
1: you, you can. You don't have to. Okay,
4: I think it was fresh flowers and fuck ups. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the quote. Um, so if something if something goes wrong with the logistics, then you'll stick it on a plane.
1: George spent five weeks on a cargo ship in the course of writing her book about the industry.
4: You sort of have this romantic ideal of you know running away to sea and and seeing the world and. But the industry just doesn't really allow for that anymore. You're not going to be able to interact with land in any kind of meaningful way because you just don't have time. One crew member said to me on my ship, he said, look, I've traveled the world and it all looks like my engine room.
1: Just imagine you get into this profession where you travel the world and all you see is the inside of the ship and the flat, flat, flat ocean. So when guys like Em get to a city, they want to see hills and valleys, ravines and peaks, anything that's not the perfect flatness of the Pacific. So we end up driving up into the hills. Turns out, he's actually a big Golden State Warriors fan, as am I. You, know,
2: you know, I was very, very upset when they didn't uh, get, uh, get the uh, championship. championship yeah. now. But it's good for, you know, LeBron James, you know.
1: Sort of happy for LeBron
2: Yeah He, <laughs> he single-handedly uh, led his team to Yeah, you know, that's right That's he what certainly his team did. is uh, dreaming about or After, what, 40 years? Yeah, well, right, without. right, right Oh my goodness, it's quite, it's quite a thing it, You know, the ball is The ball is just uh, round Anything could happen, right? <laughs> that's right
1: By the time we get up into the hills, darkness has almost fallen. There's a gorgeous orange band of sunlight and a thick crescent moon high to our left. We open some beers. Em and I are joined by two other seafarers. The guys happily smoke cigarettes in the night air, staring out at the lights.
2: Wow! Nice! see?
1: There it all is.
2: You can see this ship?
1: This is a view I've seen a thousand times. I notice only the huge new tech buildings reaching ever higher in Soma and the unusual warmth of the night. It's just another sunset inside the Golden Gate. But these guys are soaking it up. This afternoon, this evening, this is all the land they're gonna get for weeks. The view, the moment, like something amps up M's voice into a theatrical register that I hadn't heard from him before.
2: Oh, it's an indescribable feeling. It's like uh, having a dream.
1: But eventually, the sun's gone, it's getting chilly, and it's time to go in for dinner. The sailors play with their phones and chit-chat about the political situation in the Philippines. The country's authoritarian president, Rodrigo Duterte, is a hot topic. But I'm distracted. I'm struck with just how normal these people are. And yet the work that they do to support their families strikes me as heroic. They spend months out on the ocean with just a few target runs to break up the monotony. I couldn't do that. There's no way. I recently talked with a scholar named Charmaine Chua, a political scientist who studies logistics and the lives of seafarers. She told me that the guys knew that they had what were considered good jobs, jobs that plenty of other people in the Philippines and elsewhere would be happy to take. Guys like Em knew that to the companies, they were expendable.
0: They, even if they weren't talking about the global economy in the way that a specialist would, there, I think, is this sort of um, recognition that even as they sort of are tasked with moving the goods of the world across the ocean, um, that because of free trade, at any time they could be passed over for another job.
1: So while the huge container ships are the enabling technology of globalization, the people who work on them are actually subject to the same kinds of forces that are reshaping the rest of the world.
0: Once you're on a ship, you see how manual the labor is, how long and tedious and slow the movement of goods actually is across the Pacific Ocean. Um, And in fact, you know, ships have not really uh, increased that much in speed in the course since the 18th century. And so it's interesting to think about how, you know, we click a button and we expect our Amazon product to show up on our doorstep two days later. But, but the sort of physical properties and realities of oceanic movement are actually far more uh, sort of tedious and take a lot more work than that.
1: And all that work is compressed down and hidden inside the vast majority of products you buy because the entire global economic order is predicated on a steady supply of Asian-made goods flowing to the West. After dinner, I duck outside with L. He's 28, but looks even younger than that. If you saw him on the street, you wouldn't be surprised if he said he was taking classes at SF State and driving an Uber to make ends meet. He's dressed in a smart, fitted hoodie, gray jeans, black Nikes.
5: Yeah, I'm from Taal, Batangas, Philippines. Lisa like a small town.
1: He took a job as an assistant cook three years ago. He got assigned to a Korean car carrier leaving out of Singapore. As he walked up the clanging gangway, he said to himself, like, this is it. There's no turning back. And it felt good. He was excited to see the world and to make some money. That first day, that first hour, though, things took a turn for the worse. They called the crew up to the deck and told them where they were going. Brazil. A 45-day ocean voyage.
5: What? One and a half months. What? In the first week? Yeah, I'm totally crying. And I said... Oh, Lord, please help me. And then I called my family. I want to go home. And they said, uh, if you want, it's up to you. And then I talked to the officers. And they said, uh, if you go home, you don't have money. And then you will pay for your ticket. What was he going to do?
1: He needed the money. His family needed the money. What choice did he have but to try to come to terms with his new life? But as the days wore on, the loneliness got worse and worse. His crewmates, knowing he was as green as you could possibly be, tried to help him pull through.
5: I'm crying, I'm crying. And they comfort me, the Philippine officer, the other crew. Oh, that's okay, it's your first time. They said they, uh, they're like that before also. So I understand. They comfort me and then they're we going to help you. Elf
1: come to like parts of the job over the years. He likes cooking. His favorite dish to make is Filipino adobo. He loves dolphins and whales, but regrets that it's hard to get good video of them because they look so small from the mass of ships. I told him that I'd heard the stars were beautiful out on the high seas without all the light pollution, and he started to agree with me, but then he stopped himself.
5: I, actually, I don't want to like to do that, going out and see the stars, because I remembered the, the my labans in the epidemics, and then I'm getting sad. Yeah. We don't like to get sad when you're in the ship because you miss your family and then you're going to cry again. and then.
1: So if you're going to go through all that, if you're literally not going to be able to look at the stars, you got to get paid.
5: I think I will say like uh, 400000 400, pesos.
1: That's more than $8,000.
5: I'm helping my brother to graduate. And then uh, when he graduate, I... Gonna have also my sister. And then after that maybe I can uh, I can be married soon. <laughs> kids are awesome. I wanna have children and have a family.
1: Though all the men he sees around him are on the ships constantly, he doesn't wanna end up like that.
5: I just wanna end some money and then I'm gonna have some business in the Philippines because I don't wanna end up in the ship. I wanna see my kids grow up. I want to be with my family.
1: Can you remember M and his four children? He spent his lifetime at sea while they've grown up at home, which is one of the reasons he didn't want them sailing.
5: I experienced that. My father is also on the ship. We don't have, like, this uh, close relationship because he always on the ship. Not like the other guys, the other children, They with their parents, they're like close. But me and my father, we're not like close. Especially now, because when I'm on board, he's on vacation. When I'm on vacation, he's on board. (laughs) We don't see each other. So when was the last time you saw your dad? It's like uh, five years ago. Yeah, five years ago.
1: Do you think he's proud of you?
5: Yeah, maybe because I'm helping my my brother and sister. And he's proud of me because I finished my study because of his working on the ship. Yeah.
1: L headed home as soon as his ship made it back across the Pacific. He had 2 months off. He celebrated New Year's in his hometown, playing basketball on a palm tree-lined court. The men folded up their t-shirts so their paunches were revealed, and they prepared a feast in big pots cooked over open flames. I see him on Facebook now, sharing videos of how to cook the perfect egg or Christian blessings. He shipped back out again in early February. That's it for this episode. The incomparable Jonathan Hirsch edits and produces containers. Mandana Mofidi is the director of audio at Fusion Media Group. Special thanks to and a shout-out to Lou Olkowski, who's been so great and wonderful in helping out this project. Go check out her audio documentary, Cargoland, if you like this one. Oh, and I have one tiny correction from last week. Treypac's automated terminal is not in Long Beach, but the other port of the San Pedro Bay, Los Angeles my apologies to terminal operators and robots everywhere. Tune in next week when we meet the most badass person on the waterfront, fill you in on the economic turmoil in shipping, and ride along in a tugboat dragging around a hydrophone, underwater microphone, as it pushes a massive container vessel around.